Well, good morning again. I'm going to tell you the definition of sheer panic. It's when you're a pastor, and about four minutes before the message time, you can't find your sermon notes. (sighs) Well, then finally we found out that our beloved elder chairman, when he was up here giving our Christmas stuff away, accidentally picked up my sermon notes and walked off with them. This would be a really short sermon if, uh, if it weren't for him. So that's who you need to thank. He did find me. He gave him back to me. Panic is over, and here we are. <laughs> I hope you're doing well this holiday season, this Christmas season. I really hope, because, you know, it does get crazy. I hope we can kind of put the car in park and enjoy what really matters. And what really matters isn't all the gifts and craziness. It's, um, it's Jesus Celebrate who the party's for anyway, you know, and then it's enjoying each other, enjoying family and friends and, um, and your church family. So hope that's the case. I want to start out with a question here this morning. <clears throat> Have you ever asked this? Now be honest, come on. What's the least I need to do to get by? I know you have. I've asked it too. What is the least I need to do to get by. Now, I'm going to tell you, there was a time I did this in my early days. Probably wasn't my last. But my brother and I uh, were recruited by my dad to fertilize our lawn. And it was, um, it was a large, about a three and a half acre lawn that we had in upstate New York. And he, he got all these bags of um, Scott fertilizer and then he brought out the fertilizer spreader. Well, it wasn't one of these that just broadcast it. It was one that dumped it in about an 18-inch or 20-inch swath. And we have a three-and-a-half-acre lawn. So he was expecting that we carry these 50-pound bags, fill it, and, um, and just do straight lines back and forth over. Did I tell you it was three-and-a-half acres? Okay, so here, here we are. My brother and I look at each other, and of course, we're in our teen years, and we just, we know it all. We know how to get away with things. And so we're talking to each other like, and so we said, what's the least we need to do to get by? So I thought, you know, this is genius. This is brilliant. What we're going to do, Scott, you go ahead and push the fertilizer. I just want you to, let's break the lawn up in like three sections. And you push through the middle of that section, and I'm just going to take this stuff and just start going like this. Genius. And I'm like, Dad will never know. It'll all be fertilized. It'll look green. Everything will be perfect. So here we go. And it was probably about a half hour, 45-minute job through those sections. Dad was surprised how much fertilizer was left over. So we saved him some money. And all was good. Until... There's these companies that fly over your property and take pictures of your property and farm, and then they come with a beautiful oil canvas painting and they try to sell that to you. Well, wouldn't you know it? Probably three months later, knock at the door. My parents go to the door and here the salesman comes by and he's got this large oil painting above our property 
And wouldn't you know it, my dad looked at that and his eyeballs went, and there you see three lines through every third of our grass of the lawn, and that is it. And he's like, are you kidding? He didn't care about the picture. He's like, are you kidding me? And it came back. It came back to bite us. What's the least I need to do? About every night at dinner, we go through this. When my boys have snacked during the day, and then it's dinner time, and they're not very hungry, and there's food on their plate, and then here's, and we're like, you are not leaving the table, my friend. You are not leaving the table until the food is gone. And then they start negotiating. What's the least amount of bites Maybe some of you have seen the doctor and they've said these words like diet and exercise. And we think in my mind or someone's mind (laughs) who may have thought this, what's the least I need to do? What's interesting in today's passage, we're going to talk about someone who asked this question, now in a little bit different wording, they asked the question, what's the least I need to do? What's the least I need to do to get by, maybe satisfy God and his commandments, but it's really not been a big inconvenience for me? So I I, I want you to go ahead and um, take your copy of the scriptures, or you can grab your iPod or iPad or or any device that you can pull up your um, Bible with, And I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10. The Gospel of Luke in chapter 10. And we're going to work through this passage where someone asks this question in our day and age, what's the least I need to do? And uniquely so, it's one thing to say, what's the least I need to do when it comes to lawn fertilizer or eating your dinner or losing weight or exercise, what's the least I need to do? It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to say, what's the least I need to do when it comes to like the two greatest commandments of loving God and loving others? That's a whole different deal. What's the least I need to do, God, for loving my neighbor is the question that was asked in this passage And then it stumbles on a story that may be familiar to some of you that we often talk about as the story of the Good Samaritan. I want to navigate with you. Here's how the text starts out. This is the way that this thing bends as we look at it. Um, Verse 25 of Luke in chapter 10, verse 25. So this expert in the law comes up to Jesus And he's trying to test him, and he asks the question, so what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tests him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And and Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And the man answers this, verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you'll live. So let's just start out for a moment. I just want to navigate with you. There's these greatest commandments that Jesus gives, and this is reiterated throughout most of the Gospels, and it really boils down to two things. And folks, you know, this isn't the main thrust of our message, but it is something that we need to remember. 
in all of our lives, everything boils down to two things. And it's exactly what Jesus says, love God with all that you are. That's the first and greatest commandment. And I like the reality that he doesn't say, just go to church or just give. But really, at the heart of everything we do, and in fact, if we do all of this stuff and we don't love God, we fail. Love God with all you are is the first greatest commandment. Then he says the second one is like it. And now you've already heard me say it. You probably have heard it in your background one way or another. And let's just repeat that second command. The second command is to love your as, yeah, as yourself. Now, loving God is a command that few people ever disagree with. Like, I've never had someone come to me and say, really, loving God? Like, how does that all work out? Like, should we do it or should we not do it? No one's ever argued with me on that one. Loving your neighbor? That's a different story. Sometimes it's a really difficult thing to do, and I have had people say, no, how far does that go? Like, what does that really entail? And so this morning, I want to introduce us to three people. And the very first one that we want to talk about is who we are to love our, love our neighbor as. If you're following along in your study guide, which is on the back of your worship folder, here's a few things we're going to start looking at and filling in. Who are we to love as? And the answer to that Love your neighbor, what is it, as, as yourself. So we are to love as self. Now, I just, I just want to help us out. Like, we know how to love ourselves. I know some people may say, I really don't love myself. Well, well, just think about it. You do get sleep. Some of you love yourself so much, you'll get sleep even during church. That's how much you love yourself. We do wash, brush our hair, brush our teeth. We get clothes and nice clothes. You know, if we're really sick, we go to the doctor. You know, self is the person that we think about getting things for. Ooh, what do I want to get for self? We daydream where self would like to take a vacation. We think about what people could do to make life a little bit easier for self. Self is the person we want to make sure is happy. And I don't think that society is terribly challenged on how to love self. And even hating self, I know this is somewhat philosophical, even hating self is evidence that we really love self and want something to be different. If we didn't care about ourselves, we wouldn't be dissatisfied with how we look or act or what we want. We know self well. We love self. We want to be sure self is taken care of. And so the Bible says when we look at our neighbor, we ask ourselves the question, are we loving our neighbor like ourselves? And then here's the whole deal with love. Like, what does it really mean? And so here in the text, there's this word that, that the Bible is, is in in its original writing in a different language and he uses this one word, it's a very active word that talks about love here. And it describes it as the highest level of loyalty to seek the best for someone else. So you know what? I want the best for them. 
Because I'd want the best for myself. I want to make sure that they are treated well. That they have what they need. That's my level of loyalty for them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to be loyal to them like I would some, want someone to be loyal for me. I remember um, when I hunted in Pennsylvania for many years, there would be this one home that we would go by in our way there. And there was a sign, and it was really interesting. There was a sign, it was obviously right on a boundary line between two homes, right on the boundary line. It was set up, and then in big, bold letters, it said, love your neighbor as yourself. Every year, and I would forget about the sign, then we'd drive by, and I'm like, oh, there's that sign again. Love your, and I always wondered, so who's the sign up for? Is it? This person put the sign up because they want to, as they look at their neighbor, be reminded, I love my neighbor as myself. Or did they think their neighbor needed a little bit of help and they flipped the sign around so as the neighbor looked at them, the neighbor would be reminded to love their neighbor as their self. We do come to the grip with the facts, though, that as we love ourselves, we're to love others. Now, here's the big question. Who are we to love? So the text says, love your neighbors yourself. Jesus says, you answer correctly. Do this and you'll live. But notice what the neighbor does in verse 29. He wanted, and this is key, to justify himself. Here's where I came up with the original thought. What's the least I need to do? What's the least I need to do? Who are the least number of people I need to do this for? And so in trying to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Like, let's narrow this down. Let's whittle this number down, the focus down, because the fewer people, and in fact, maybe it's the people who are neighborly to me, those are the ones it might be a little bit easier to do this for, and I meet the requirements. Who is our neighbor? Notice what happens. In verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, <clears throat> passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, looked after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus says in a penetrating way to this teacher of the law who was trying to trick him, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robber? And the expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him, and Jesus says, go and do likewise. Who's our neighbor? 
I'm going to tell you who this neighbor was. I'm going to tell you how the Samaritan loved him. And then I'm going to finish up, what are we going to do about it today? Okay, what are we going to do about it today? So here's number one. <clears throat> Who's the neighbor? The neighbor is someone going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So I'm here to tell you, chances are, most likely, this neighbor was a Jew. This was a Jewish person. And I don't know if you're familiar at all with some of the ethnic dynamic of, these, of this New Testament time. But the Jews did not really like the Samaritans. Samaritans were individuals who were part Jew, part Gentile. Now the Jews were pure in their lineage, and so they looked at these folks as though they were impure. They also looked at their religious practices. They looked at their cultural practices. They understood themselves to be superior in many ways, and so there was very little intermingling of Jews and Samaritans. And so the one who was beaten and left half dead on the side of the road, that person was a Jew. And notice the first two guys who walked by, the very first one was a priest, a Jewish priest. The second one was a Levite, a pure lineage Jew. And they end up walking by this person who had this tremendous need, not only walking by, but going to the other side of the road. And so the neighbor may be someone you don't know. They may not even go to your church. In fact, they may not even go to church at all. Think about it. Your neighbor may not be like you. On the other side of things, fasten your seatbelt, your neighbor may live in your house. You could be married to them. They could be your child. Are you sitting down? They might even be a Baptist. And whoever it is, whether they're like you or whether they're not like you, whether it be someone you would normally associate with or someone you wouldn't, or someone who would maybe not care about you, or someone who does, Jesus, in one answer, just kind of opens this door wide and he says, you know what? Guess who your neighbor is? Someone who has a need. And notice what the Samaritan comes by. Here's the Samaritan that would have nothing to do with the Jew, and yet guess what they do? I'm going to give you four things that showed the love of this individual for the man who was in need. <clears throat> and what did this love look like? I'm going to give you four things. These are beautiful. These are probing thoughts about what our love should look like for those who have need. Number one, the love comes from within. And I like verse 33 because it describes the source of the love. He says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, saw, saw him, and the words are, he took pity on him. Wow, he was moved from the inside. 
He really did care. There was an inward compulsion. He was moved from within, and here's the key, to a point of action. I need to do something about this. I can't just walk by. I can't even move over to the other side of the road. I can't even just look and rubberneck as I move along. I need to do something. It gripped him from within. That's where love comes from. Here's number two description of love. There's a number of thoughts about this in the text. Number, number two, love is sacrificial. There's a few things about the Samaritan's love and care. It mentions he went to him. Even before that, he was on a journey. He was going somewhere. He had plans. And imagine, would I take my vacation to help someone I didn't know? So not only was he on this journey and he had a destination, he had deadlines, he had a place to go. Beyond that, it says um, he put him on his donkey. And so guess what? If he puts him on his donkey, guess what, guess what the Samaritan's now doing? He's walking. And he puts him on his donkey. He took him to an inn. Now here's where the story took a, a different stretch than what I remembered. I, I always thought he took him to the inn. He said to the innkeeper, hey, here's some money. You take care of him. I'm going to keep on going. Notice what it says here. I had missed this before. Um, Verse 34. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. Guess what this guy does? He not only takes him to the inn, he goes and spends the night and cares through the night for this man and bandaged his wounds and and helped him to heal and then the next day goes to the innkeeper and said, here's some money, continue to help care for him. I'm going to come back through and, and give you anything else that may be needed. I love the fact, number three, love is thorough. It comes from within, it is sacrificial, it is thorough. He said, I'm going to come back, not, you know, I just dropped back and punted, it's in your court now. It is thorough. He would come back, he would check, he would compensate with any additional expenses that were needed. And then here's number four. It is unconditional, and, and this is powerful. There's no repayment. There wasn't even the condition of a long-term relationship. There wasn't even a, now you need to attend my church because I did this for you. He loved this man as he would want someone to love him if he were robbed, if he were beaten, if he were left for dead. That's it. This thought goes through my mind. It's not good enough to just not hate your neighbor. Think about it. I don't hate anyone. It's not what Jesus is asking. You know, I don't have a problem with my neighbor. It's not what Jesus is asking. I mean, when our spouse goes for the day, we don't say, see ya, have a good day, I don't hate you. I mean, we don't don't say that. We say, see you, I love you. I love you. 
Jesus isn't saying don't hate your neighbor. He's saying I want you to be actively loving. In my grandma's house in Burlington County, New Jersey, she had this sign that was up and probably some of you, if you went to your grandma's house, you may have seen the same sign. Big letters, love is an action verb. It does. It's doing. It's helping. If there are hurts, we mend them. If there's hunger, we feed them. If there's sorrow, we comfort them. If there's worry, we listen to them and pray for them. If there's loneliness, we spend time with them. If they are cold, we clothe them. If there is indifference on the part of people. It just doesn't cut it because only action only action will do. I'm going to read for you one of my favorite stories of all time. It's about Ted Stallard. <clears throat> Undoubtedly, he fits into this neighbor category, and he was turned off by school. He was sloppy in appearance. He was expressionless. He was unattractive. Even his teacher, Miss Thompson, enjoyed bearing down her red pen as she placed X's beside all of his wrong answers. And if only she had taken the time to study his academic records more closely, here's how they read first grade. Ted shows promise with his work and attitude, but has poor home situation. Second grade. Ted could do better. Mother seriously ill, receives little help from home. Third grade. Ted is a good boy, but too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade. Ted is very slow, but well-behaved. His father shows no interest whatsoever. And then Christmas arrived. The children piled elaborately wrapped gifts on their teacher's desk, and Ted brought one in, too. It was wrapped in brown paper, held together with scotch tape. Miss Thompson opened each gift as the children crowded around to watch, and one of Ted's packages fell as she opened it, a gaudy, rhinestone bracelet with half of the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume and the children all began to snicker and miss thompson silenced them by splashing some of the perfume and moved them on her wrists and then letting them smell it and then she put the bracelet on too At the day's end, after most of the other children had left, Ted came by the teacher's desk and whispered in her ear, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And that bracelet looks so pretty on you. And he said, I'm so glad you like my presence. And he left, and Miss Thompson got down on her knees. 
just ask God to forgive her and to change her attitude. And the next day, the children were greeted by a very reformed teacher. One committed to loving each one of them, especially the slow ones, especially Ted. And surprisingly, or maybe not so surprisingly, Ted began to show some improvement. He actually caught up with most of the students and even passed a few. And time came and went, and Ms. Thompson heard nothing from Ted for a long time. Then one day she received this note, Dear Ms. Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I will be graduating second in my class. Love, Ted. Four years later, another note arrived. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I will be graduating college first in my class. I wanted you to know the university has not been easy, but I liked it. And then four years later, dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stallard, MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come sit where my mother would sit if she were alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. And Miss Thompson attended the wedding, sat where Ted's mother would have sat. The compassion she showed that man earned her the privilege to be next to him in that special day. So I end up thinking about this myself, and I think, who have I earned the privilege? Who have I been a neighbor to and shown love to that earns me a spot next to them? Who has been intangibly touched by the tender tones of our lives, and it has made a difference and I just end up thinking I need to have courage and we need to have courage and start giving to the least of these. And he may become a Ted Stallard, who knows, and even if that doesn't happen, we will be faithful to the one who has always treated us as unworthy as we are. Like very special people. I love this quote, I give it to you right now. It is natural to love them that love us, but it is supernatural to love them that hate us. Here's the third person I want to introduce to you this morning. The first person was us, ourself, who were to love as. The second is our neighbor, and we realize that the door is wide open on that. But the third person I want us to be introduced to this morning is the person who loves us like that. And that person, my friends, is Jesus. It is Jesus Christ. In beautiful fashion, the color of Christmas is love. I give you these words, we love him because he first loved us. The scriptures say, no greater love has anyone than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The, the Bible says again, this is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave his life a ransom for many. And then we talked about that verse today at communion. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. And just take a moment, let's just flip this story on end. 
and we see this. You ready for this? We're the ones in the ditch. We're the ones in need. And guess who it is that came to our aid? Who sacrificed of himself. Who took us with him and bandaged our wounds and our hurts. And who paid all of the price for our care. And that person, my friend, I tell you with joy today is Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate one who has loved us like no other. And so the story is coming to the end, and Jesus now asks of this expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? And the expert says, well, the one who had mercy. And Jesus says, okay, do it. Do it. Go and do likewise. Be just like him. So I want to give us two responses today for Christmas love. Two responses, and um, these are really important. These are at the bottom of your sheet. Go ahead and fill in these blanks. Number one, folks, can we just, like, hit pause and say, thank you, God, for your love for us. Huh? Thank God for his love for us. If it weren't for God, where would we be? If it weren't for his loving us when we weren't unlovable, for reaching out to us when we were powerless, for picking us up, paying our way, cleaning us up, healing us, forgiving us, we can't let Christmas go by without just putting the car in park and saying, God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for loving me and sending Jesus to die for my sin. And so I just encourage you, folks, do not let Christmas go by. Don't let Christmas go by without taking the time personally or as a family or collectively with others from church or your small group or whatever it may be in your community. Don't let Christmas go by without people stopping and saying, God, thank you. This is all about him coming to us when we could not go to him. God, thank you so much for Jesus and for salvation through his death on the cross. And in fact, let's just put our service in part for a moment, folks. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes? And in your heart right now, Silently, would you just tell him, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. God, I believe in what you have done for me. Would you do that right now? I've got one more point, but we can't let this point go by. Would in this silence, tell Jesus right now, tell God thank you for all he's done for you. God, we do say thank you. How could, ever, how could we repay you? There's nothing we could do that could have paid for our sin. And we're just indebted. We thank you. 
God, we worship you. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So thank him. Thank him. Here's the second thing. Show someone his love through you. You know what? I guarantee you, you talk to anyone across the globe, they know the Christmas account. They know it. They could tell you, what's Christmas? Oh, it's when Jesus came to earth as a baby. It's all there. It's even in the Peanuts shows on TV. They know what Christmas is, but here's the deal. It's your love and my love for them that will help them sense and experience his love. It may not be easy. It may be very uncomfortable, like this text I received from a friend within the past week. Here's what it says. I just spent an hour with a homeless man, buying him lunch and coffee. We just sat around and talked about life, where he's been, where he's going, and we talked about God. Probably not big on your comfort zone level, true? For you, it may not be someone homeless, but rather someone in your home. Or it could be the widow, or it could be the single parent, or the one with no family around, or they may be in the hospital, or they might even be in prison. They may even be in their situation due to their own fault. They may be entirely unable to do anything in return for you, and when you see a situation like that, you know you have now got the perfect opportunity to be Jesus Christ to them. Bring the kids along. Show them and remind them of Jesus' love. Get them in on the blessing of loving our neighbor. Okay, so you got that person in mind? You think of someone right now? My neighbor. The one who I know has a need who could use my love and see a little bit of Jesus in me. You got him in your mind? I'm just going to tell you the phrase of Jesus. Go and do likewise. Let's do it. Let's thank him for his love for us. Let's show that love to other people. Would you stand with me for a moment? We got to sing and nail this thing down. So it's not what's the least. What's the most? Thomas A. Kempis said, whoever loves much does much. That's what needs to be in our heart. The same thing in the heart of Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to tell you today, if you're really not familiar or understanding where you are with God, maybe you're thinking, I'm on the outside. And and I don't know if I'm even going to heaven. If you ever have questions like that, that's why we exist as a church. I would invite you to email or call or grab us in the hall, whatever may be the case. We exist because we want people to have a relationship with Jesus, to know him personally, to love him because he loved you. Do that. Let's connect together. And then let's show that love to others. I'm going to ask you one other thing as you go. Two other things. Number one, invite someone next week you're going to get from our ushers invite cards. And it's for next week, it's for next Sunday, and then for Christmas Eve. So make sure you grab those and have friends, relatives, neighbors, neighbor, 
come with you. That's another good thing you can do. And here's the second thing. We're going to have a prayer time in about maybe 12, 15 minutes right in here. If you have a child downstairs or in nursery, please get them. Or we'll be having another prayer time for the nursery workers. Make sure you get them. If you can bring them to the prayer time, feel free. If they're a little restless, you feel you need to take them home, that's not a problem. But whichever, make sure you get them. Yeah. Oh, and make sure you remember we have this helping hand fund that helps us show God's love to other people. And the ushers will have special baskets at each door. Everything that goes in helps people in need. God bless you. Have a great week.